This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. May of 2020, or no, no, when was it? We, we taught a series on this on Joseph, whenever that was. I've lost. Does anybody else lose an entire year of your life? Like it's a leap year with 2020? That's over. The actual leap year happened. We taught a series a while back about, remember this saying that uh, hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. Uh, we are living in a season of weak men creating hard times. And the series on Joseph was about, it should have been Judah's time. Judah was, is in the bloodline of Jesus. But Judah was a weak man creating hard times. And so God instead rose up one of his sons named, brothers named Joseph. And Joseph was a thinker. And you think back to the last time in our society when we saw a major turnover was in the 40s, Tolkien, C.S. Lewis. And I've really felt like that the Lord is saying in this season right now, what we don't need is a bunch of emotional leaders out there making emotional decisions. We've been to that rodeo. Uh, No, it's time for the rise of the thinkers once again, the Christian thinkers. And as we did that series, I was reminded of a kid that I've known since he was a kid who started an organization called the Christian Thinkers society. Um, He's been doing a lot of work over the last 10 years in apologetics. He's one of the top voices out there right now. Uh, Jeremiah and I both agreed we don't even like the word apologetics because it feels like it's a militant argumentative term from the beginning, but I wanted to use it so you at least know where we're coming from. He's come this morning with a message that is so poignant, not only for our church, but for our time. He is one of the Josephs in the Judah generation that God has risen. Liam, would you play the video quick so they can see a little bit about him? When it comes to faith, sometimes it can be tough to get answers to our questions. How do we know God is real? Where did the Bible come from? What happens when we die? I'm Jeremiah Johnston, and I founded an organization called the Christian Thinkers Society to help people deal with questions just like these. Far too often, these are questions that people are afraid to ask. They don't come up in polite conversations. Perhaps they're too embarrassed or fear that there might not actually be an answer. And so we end up with these deeply personal questions that go unanswered. What do we do when God seems silent? Why can we trust in the bodily resurrection of Jesus? How should Christians respond to spiritual darkness and paranormal activity? How can I know for sure the Bible is true and trustworthy? What should Christians understand about suicide and mental health? Why do we experience suffering and pain? I hope you'll join me as we discover answers to life's unanswered questions. So Jeremiah has come all the way from Houston, Texas this morning to share a message about the shalom, the peace of God. And at a time like this, boy, do we ever need it. So would you guys welcome Jeremiah this morning? Thank you, Darren. 
Conduit Church, it is such a delight for me to be here. I want to tell you, uh, yes, I have known Darren since the late 90s. And I was 17 years old. I wanted to reach my friends for Jesus Christ, and I wanted to bring in a Christian hip-hop band. And I don't even think I could sign a contract, but I did anyways with Darren to bring him in. And we had an amazing time of outreach. It was a blessing. And I have known your pastor and followed your pastor for 23 years. And I tell you what, I'm looking older and he's looking younger. So I don't know what's going on out there. Um, but it is such a delight. When I think about Conduit Church, it reminds me of Acts 14, 27. The church gathered together to discuss all the ways in which God was using them to, re to reach the world. And this church is reaching the world in a dynamic way. You know God's hand is on Conduit Church because you can't even, like, explain this church outside of God's hand on it. Amen? I mean, it's so powerful. It's such an incredible story. You just have to get in the middle of it, and you know God's working through it. And I just want to tell you all, I know you know um, that you're blessed, but... Darren and Shannon, we love you guys so much, and I cannot tell you what a true honor it is for me to stand in your pulpit today and open the Word of God with this amazing church. I feel in many ways unqualified to do that because this church is doing so many great things on the front line. So I'm here today uh, just as an ambassador of love and truth, but I want to thank you, Darren and Shannon, just for your incredible leadership um, in this church, for what God is doing in and through you. And it's an exciting time to be a Christian, but it's also more difficult. And honestly, not since the days of the Roman Empire has it been such an have there been so many intellectual challenges to our faith. But I happen to believe um, it's the best, most optimistic time to be a Christian. I'm I'm super optimistic about what God is doing around the world in and through His church. There's great evidences for our faith, and that's what we do at Christian Thinker Society. A Christian thinker is not an oxymoron, right? Although for some people it might be. We don't want it to be. Um, it's so important that we love God with our heart, soul, and mind. I want to introduce you to my family very briefly. We bring our greetings from Houston, Texas, where we are based as a ministry. And my wife is a superhero. We've been married 17 years. That's Audrey. And then Lily Faith is right here on the front row. If you would welcome her to Conduit Church. Lily, just stand up, say hello. Stand up, say hi. She travels with Daddy. And then, friends, that's Justin, who's nine and a half. Maybe if I have the opportunity to come back, um, my number two question I've been asked is, what do you do when God seems silent? Because my wife and I struggled with infertility. Can I just encourage you to be very careful when you have an unanswered prayer request for God? Um, because we had triplets, ladies and gentlemen. That's Abel, Ryder, and Jackson. And so my name is gold-plated at the Costco in Katy, Texas, because we're buying 700 diapers a month. So God bless every one of you who buys a book. It's a true blessing. We're still getting out of the diaper debt. Um, but it is a blessing to be here at Conduit Church. And there is one word that has gotten me through the pandemic. I mean, no one has been okay the last 19 months. I mean, we're all struggling somewhere with high-grade or low-grade PTSD coming through this pandemic. And this word shalom is a word that has carried me through it, but also a lot of humor has carried me through it. And I'm going to get to shalom in a minute, but have you guys followed the hashtag quarantine fail? You have to check out the hashtag quarantine fail. Now, we all got into, we all got YouTube smart, right? On YouTube. I mean, I bought a chainsaw. Turns out it is a lot of fun to have a chainsaw, ladies and gentlemen, but check out this quarantine fail. This is somebody who decided to install a kitty door. Check out this picture, kitty door install, and then check out the quarantine fail result. Check out the next one. LOL, I hate myself. That's a quarantine fail right there for do-it-yourself. 
Um, home haircuts, by the way, my wife Audrey's informed me that she is saving me about $2,700 a year. We, we, did, we went to home haircuts. There's five boys, including me. So Audrey also does hair now. Uh, this, guy did a, this guy did a haircut on his own. Check out this quarantine fail photograph. Not a joke. My clippers just died. Quarantine fail. Um, Perhaps the best, though, is, and friends, um, I have, I want to just give it up for all of the homeschool families, those of you that are gifted in homeschool teaching. You guys are amazing. I have much to learn from you. I have two master's degrees and a PhD, and I was losing my mind during the home learning epidemic in our home. Um, check out this letter that's, that a fourth grader held up to the camera during remote learning. I have to read it with you. It is not going good. My mom is getting stressed out. My mom is really getting confused. We took a break so my mom can figure this stuff out, and I'm telling you, it is not going good. Quarantine fail. <laughs> so listen, wherever you're at on the trajectory today, as we, Lord willing, emerge from the pandemic, it's okay. We all have low-grade or high-grade PTSD, but this word shalom is what has carried me through the pandemic, and I want to teach you why the word shalom is so much stronger than a greeting, and I want to encourage you to make this your word going into the next year. In fact, when we look at what's really going on out there, you know, as a ministry of Christian Thinker Society, We've just opened it up for questions, and I've received thousands and thousands of questions from believers just like you in churches all over America, Canada, the United Kingdom. And so our church has a, our, excuse me, our ministry has a pulse on the actual questions people are asking. And the number one question that I get asked from Christians is, what do we do about our mental pain? What do we do about our anxiety? What do we do about the struggles that we face? And in fact, it was only amplified going through the pandemic the last 19 months. In fact, the Journal of Globalization and Health did a compilation of all of the studies of what's going on because of the pandemic. This won't be a surprise to you. All of the studies reported these increases in symptoms of mental trauma, such as depression, mood swings, irritability, insomnia, post-traumatic stress, and anger. And friends, here is where we need to be so careful as Christian critical thinkers. We cannot allow fear to define us as believers in Jesus Christ. And right now, too many people in the body of Christ were defined by a boogeyman, were defined by panic, were defined by fear, were defined and motivated by fear. And guess what? Our Father, as we've been worshiping, He doesn't motivate in guilt. He doesn't motivate in fear, does He? Um, but unfortunately, there's been a viral spread, literally what psychologists are calling an anxiety contagion. Now, check this out. This is very important if you're a mom or dad, grandparent, if you're a guardian. It turns out that panic is as contagious as any other pathogen, and it is as dangerous in its own right. And as you've probably seen, we're in the midst of a pediatric mental health crisis. And this is where I thank God for Conduit Church, because God is a big boy. He can take our toughest questions. Amen? It, you know, we don't have to check our brain at the door to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And this is where I thank God for the vision of your pastor and your team here to be able to have a Sunday dedicated to Shalom, because... Christianity is all about answering today's unanswered questions. So many people out there, and friends, what we're up against is secularist. It's secularism. It's full-on secularism. That is the biggest competitor to Christianity right now. They see Christianity as irrelevant, as the answer of yesterday's questions, not today's questions. This morning, 
I want to teach you about this beautiful word that will anchor you. It will anchor your family. It will eliminate the panic contagion that is just going wild in our communities and will certainly protect your family from the panic contagion. But what I love about your pastor, as I said, is we have to eliminate stigma around these issues. We have to eliminate the stigma. And I think C.S. Lewis said it best in his book, The Problem of Pain. You may have seen this quote. He really summed up even the stigma attached to mental pain that so many of us struggle with. Lewis said, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it's more common and also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It's easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. And one thing I know as a Christian thinker and as a brother in Christ, there are broken hearts all over the room this morning. There is only one remedy to the panic contagion and the anxiety contagion that we all face, and it is understanding the peace that passes all understanding, the shalom of Almighty God. Will you say that word shalom out loud with me? Shalom. Let's say it one more time. Shalom. It's a word that pops up 550 times in Scripture, and yet so many believers in Jesus Christ are unaware of the power of living in the shalom and the peace of God. How do we get there? And what I like about being a Christian thinker is we've got to get beyond the bumper sticker theology. We've got to get beyond the soundbite, Twitter, hot take. And these difficult questions, they deserve substantive answers. And so this morning, you're going to walk out of here with the first three steps to living in the peace, the shalom of God. I'm going to teach you three things before we walk out of here today. There are dozens of more that I get into in my brand new book, Unleashing Peace, but these are the three foundational principles for you right now to walk out of here making the decision to live in the peace, the shalom of God. First, let's define it because um, this is kind of a tricky word. You know, a lot of people think it's just a greeting. Did you know it's translated 70 different ways in the NIV Bible alone? And I love the Hebraic understanding of shalom. It's so much better. And by the way, for you Greek and Hebrew scholars, we've got it up on the board for you. Peace, completeness, wholeness, lacking nothing. The word I would use for shalom is flourishing. God wants you to flourish. And this morning, as we open our Bibles to Philippians chapter four, we're gonna look at the greatest anti-anxiety passage in all of the scriptures. And I'm gonna teach you about a little bit of the context of the author who wrote Philippians four, seven through nine, because if we're not careful, we can become so familiar with the Bible, we utterly um, forget and misunderstand or don't appreciate its interpretation. Um, but one thing I want to say is Jesus, when we look at the life of Jesus Christ, what does it say in Isaiah 9-6? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of what? Say it out loud, peace. Jesus personified shalom throughout the Gospels. We cannot know the peace of God apart from Jesus Christ. Did you know that? There is no peace apart from Jesus Christ. And the problem is, and I think of those prophets of old like Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Do you remember those passages in the Old Testament where Ezekiel and Jeremiah would say, you look for peace, peace, where there is no peace? I really feel like that's defining our culture today. Men and women, even in the church, who are looking for peace, peace, where there is no peace. And so Jesus personified shalom, and there's this beautiful divine order in God's peace. And by the way, shalom, as we're going to see, it, he, it anchored the Apostle Paul. We're going to see that in a moment. Um, and I don't think there's any greater concept in the Bible, and there's certainly no greater word in all the Bible after the name of Jesus 
than this word shalom. But unfortunately, it has been understudied and therefore underapplied in the Christian life. And so shalom, first and foremost, friends, it's always connected to Jesus Christ. That healing, forgiving, loving relationship that Jesus Christ won for you and me on the cross, it is available for you today to heal that broken heart, to restore you spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally. But how do we get there? And this is why I wanted to write a book called Unleashing Peace, because so many people talk about the peace of God, but I'm a big immediate next steps guy. How do we actually live this? How do we live the peace of God with the anxiety and the turmoil in our cultures and our families and our interpersonal relationships? Well, let's, let's take it first and foremost. There's a divine order of God's peace. If you want to have the peace of God, um, it's not a secret. It's available for you right now, but first and foremost, as we said, it's always connected with Jesus. In Jesus, first and foremost, we experience peace with God. So many of us were far too religious. We've never experienced the redemption that Jesus Christ brings to our life. So I cannot have the peace of God or the God of peace until I have made peace with God. So there is a divine order for shalom, for peace in my life, and that is Romans 5.1. And so I want to encourage you today, if you have not made your decision for Jesus Christ, that is step one to the peace of God. It is peace with God. And then once we have peace with God through the gospel, through what Darren just shared, through what we just worshiped, once we have peace with God, and that is a peace, by the way, that cannot change. It is eternal. It happens in a moment. Then we experience the transformational peace of God. Now, that's the hard part of the puzzle of a Christian. That's the hard part in our families. How do we put the puzzle together of peace in our life? And friends, this is so important. Now, Jesus, as I said, he personified the peace of God. And let me give you your first practical takeaway from today's message. What, what do I learn when I open the Gospels and I look at the life of Jesus and I see a man who personified shalom? Number one, make no mistake, Jesus Christ was unprovocable. Would you write that down? Jesus Christ was unprovocable. This is this wonderful passage in 1 Peter 2.23. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats, but he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Let me give you a quick example. I was speaking in Dallas at a conference the other day, and my friend Caleb Kaltenbach was one of the other speakers. He tweeted out a few years ago this tweet about Costco, and this perfectly exemplifies the point I'm trying to make. Costco has Bibles for sale under the genre of fiction. Hmm. And he was just joking, okay? He was literally at Costco running his honeydew errands, and he just snapped a photo. Someone at Costco had made a total mistake, and they had accidentally put the Bibles on the fiction side of the table rather than the nonfiction side. And again, Caleb just tweeted this as a joke, okay? But before the end of the day, a certain Christian provocateur picked it up and came out with an immediate op-ed that Costco, the Bible is fiction. How dare Costco? This is a slap in the face to all Christians. Boycott Costco. The problem is it completely flew in the face of the facts. The Costco CEO, who's a devout Christian, came out before the end of the day and said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, this was a mistake. We, we made a mistake. You know, maybe it was someone who worked a double. Have you ever made a mistake in your job? And they just put it on the wrong side of the table. It didn't matter. The Christian, and Ed Stetzer quotes this in his book about Christian outrage, the Christian outrage train was off and running. And so, friends, we have to be so careful that 
as we stand for truth, as we stand for our principles, as we answer the questions our culture asks about the faith, can we please try to do it in an unprovocable way? Amen? That's where I'm at today. We don't need any more Christians that are, we have Christians that are far too easily provoked. And guess what? Jesus' most countercultural trait, you couldn't provoke the man. Pilate couldn't provoke him. The Pharisees couldn't provoke him. The Sadducees couldn't provoke him. You could not provoke Jesus Christ. And so that is one area immediately that I see that Jesus personified shalom. So friends, you're in a huge battle right now. John Stott, that great thinker um, who just went to heaven not long ago from the UK, he said, the battle for the Christian life is the battle for the Christian mind. And this is where I pray that our ministry can partner with your church for years to come because there is a graduate level of skepticism that is growing out there. We cannot give elementary responses. And the scales of truth tip in our favor. And so we have to be able to articulate our faith in a culturally conversant way, in an unprovocable way. Well, certainly not at all diminishing or being embarrassed by the truth, but let's do it in a way that's winsome. Let's do it in a way that, you know, it's amazing in a faith dialogue, the more I know about my faith, the more comfortable I am in a faith conversation. Did you know that? The more relaxed I am, the better listener I am. The more I know about my faith, the better Christian thinker I am, the better I am to engage with people that are actually asking sincere questions. So how do we get to the peace of God? If Jesus Christ personified shalom, if shalom anchored the Apostle Paul, how do we get there? Well, let me introduce you to the greatest anti-anxiety passage in all of the Bible. And friends, I wanna just give you two minutes of the background of this passage. Can you imagine if Jesus Christ had appeared to you at least four times? Can you imagine if you had heard the voice of Jesus himself? I'm talking about his real voice. Well, can you imagine if you had had an experience of being caught up to heaven and you're seeing things that are undescribable? In fact, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul doesn't say what he saw. He, said, he explains what he hears. He can't even explain what he sees. He said, I heard unutterable expressions. And yet, even though Paul saw the Lord at least four times, heard his voice once, had an experience of heaven, guess what? Paul was a professional worrier. He was full of anxiety. His second missionary journey was an utter disaster. It was a failure. In fact, if you go seven years before this passage is written to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, Here's, in, in, you know, I identify with this. Paul said, the Lord had opened a great door for me in Troas, but I had no peace of mind. And he was not able to do effective ministry there. Can you think about a time when you've held, been held back because of anxiety in your life? because of mental pain. You've not been able to take that step of faith, even though you knew God was in it. God was opening a door for you. Well, that's exactly where Paul was on his second missionary journey. He said, I have no peace of mind. In fact, Paul is often referred to as the Job of the New Testament because he had so many problems. He had so many challenges. People are like, are you really an apostle? An apostle can't really have all these problems and be a true apostle. And yet we see in Paul's life, get this, shalom, for him to understand it, it was a process. And it took him seven years to figure out and then to write the greatest anti-anxiety passage in all the scripture. So I wanna encourage you, if you're out there and you're a professional warrior, or if you're out there and you're struggling with mental pain, because that's probably more than one half of the people in this audience right now, you're not alone. It doesn't make you a second-rate Christian. In fact, when our pain becomes our purpose, that's our path to peace. And my challenge for you today is to turn your pain into your purpose 
And that's where you're going to find God's peace. How do I live in shalom? Philippians 4, beginning at verse 6, is such a powerful passage because it's a command that says, do not worry about anything. Now, can we just stop right there and can we all be real transparent with each other? If this wasn't in the Bible, I would not believe this was possible. Okay, I have triplets, all right? It's really good I wrote a book about mental pain because I have triplets, ladies and gentlemen. I haven't slept in five years. They're five years old, okay? So I, I totally get it. If this wasn't in the Bible, I wouldn't believe this were possible apart from the supernatural enabling of the Holy Spirit. Paul sums it up by saying, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, there's a really interesting command here, and it's fascinating because Paul, who would have been an expert in the Hebrew scriptures, he's able to sum up Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus gives eight reasons not to worry, Psalm 37, Habakkuk chapter 3, which is the greatest understanding of faith in all the Bible, he sums it all up right here in Philippians chapter 4. And he says, do not be anxious about anything. So if you're going to have the peace and the shalom of God today, there are a few things practically that you have to do. I can't do it for you. Darren can't do it for you. You have to own this part of your life if you're going to live in the peace and the shalom of God. Number one, what do we get from Philippians 4, 6? Shalom will happen when I have a plan. Shalom happens when I have a plan. Now, this is so important. This is remarkable. It took Paul seven years to figure out the plan for his own peace in his life. It took him seven years from 2 Corinthians chapter 2 to Philippians chapter 4. The ironic thing is he's in jail when he's writing this to the Philippian church. Shalom comes when I have a plan. So here's my challenge to you. Do you have a plan for peace for your life? Do you plan for the shalom of God in your life? You might have a financial plan. You might have a career plan, an educational plan. You've got a plan for your relationships. You've got a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, 15-year plan. Why don't you have a plan for the shalom of God in your life? Now, how do we do that? Let me give you some practical steps that'll probably help. Um, Check out this screen. We could preach a whole sermon, Darren and I, on this. Here's some great things that if I'm going to have for the peace of God in my life, I'm going to have to say no to certain things for the bigger yes of shalom, right? So here's some great suggestions for you. Stop obsessively checking the news. And all God's people said, amen. Check your sources. This is huge. You know, I'm a researcher. Check your sources. Doom scrolling. Stop that. Don't contribute to the panic. You know, by all means, if you're fearful or have trouble, talk to a pastor, talk to a friend, a trusted friend, but let's not contribute to the panic. Stay social. Number, Number five, I am very passionate about. The worst punishment that you can do to a human is isolate them. Did you know that? And that's why it is so important that we worship together in person, face-to-face. And I want to say this with no shame to anyone out there. Unless you have a legitimate medical reason, which we completely understand and appreciate, unless you have a legitimate medical reason, be with the people of God. Be in fellowship with the people of God. Don't isolate yourself. Isolation is one of the reasons so many of us struggle with anxiety. Um, Establish schedules, leave the house, get out of nature, exercise. By the way, the cheapest therapy you could do today is to go jog for two miles. Did you know that? That's the best cheap therapy you could do for what it does for your brain. These are great practical steps. Another way is not listening to the lies of the world. Again, I'm going fast. I get into this in depth in my book, but when lies define my Christian life, 
I'm not gonna have a peace plan. Check out these lies. Number one, I am alone. I have no hope, there's no plan for me. I have to have it all figured out. You know, we have really misinterpreted what faith looks like according to the Bible. Faith does not equal certainty, people. Faith equals trusting God through the uncertainty. Did you know that? That is the biblical definition of faith. You know, there's so many of these we could go through, but number seven is huge. Feelings are the driving force of my life. The challenge that might be coming against your family right now, you cannot feel your way out of that challenge. You have to think your way out of that challenge. I'm gonna get to this in a moment, so um, keep this in the back of your mind. Paul has this crippling anxiety. It takes him seven years, and he gives us this command that if I'm gonna have the peace of God, I have to rid my mind of certain things. There's a beautiful list, and there are practical things like the list we looked at before that I can do to have the peace of God personified in my life. I wanna just say this too for a moment about feelings, if I may. Um, this is so important. I love feelings. Like, I'm an emotional guy. I told Darren and Shannon last night at dinner, you know, I ugly cry when I watch The Chosen, don't you? I mean, I'm a super emotional dude. Um, I want the emotions in the car of my life. I just don't want emotions driving the vehicle and putting its foot on the gas, amen? And yet so many of us, we're allowing emotions to drive us to the decisions that we make rather than truth, rather than shalom. And so it all comes back to, if I'm gonna have a plan for shalom in my life, I'm gonna have to plan for that. My pastor can't do that for me. My sister or brother can't do for that for me. I need to do that for me. Um, I wanna say this too. I wish we had time to get into Psalm 42 and 43. When it comes to feelings, the worst thing that you can do is listen to your heart, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Paul said this in Psalm 42 and 43, that he has to preach, excuse me, Psalm 42 and 43 said, when you are worrying, remember that passage, why are you downcast, my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Put your faith and your hope in God. Psalm 42 and 43 is this beautiful reminder, you know, I can't feel it, but I believe it. I can't feel it, but I believe it. And so the key application here is really helpful. I cannot listen to my heart. I have to speak to my heart. All of this goes into why I need a plan for shalom in my life. Number two, how do I have the peace of God? It's right here in Philippians 4.8. Now, this is really cool. It depends which translation you're reading, but there are 32 words in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, anchored by one verb. It is the word think. It is the word think. And what are we to think about? Well, there are six adjectives. There are two nouns. And if you allow yourself to focus on these things that Paul's about to say in Philippians 4.8, you will usher in the peace of God in your life. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, this is where the Bible is extremely helpful to whatever anxiety you're facing right now in your life. Because, you know, Modern psychology wants you to lose your mind. Biblical psychology, Christian psychiatry, wants you to face your fears and think through them and think about the answers. Modern, modern, um, modern thinking is like, you know, go on a vacation, lose your mind. The Bible says, I have to think my way through those challenges. And God has blessed us with incredible psychiatrists, psychologists, biblical counselors, biblical therapists that help us unpack what the Bible has to say here about 
thinking. So what are you thinking about? Paul was determined to have less anxiety in his life. He was determined to bolt his life to truth. And so if I'm going to have the peace of God, I have to have a plan for peace. And number two, I have to make sure my life is bolted to the truth. So is your life bolted to the truth today? How high of a regard do you have for the truth of God's word in your life and in your family? What weight does truth have on your decision-making? This is so important because peace happens through thinking. This is an action verb. Paul loved this word truth. It shows up 55 times in his letters. Truth, truth, truth. Um, But there's a lot of confusion out there when it comes to truth. Um, I've got to show you this slide because even Bible scholars can be a little confused about what truth is. This is a book I'm going to show you called Paul and Palestinian Judaism. Uh, It rocked biblical scholarship back in the 1970s. Do you see this index right here, truth, comma, ultimate, with three page numbers? If you go to those page numbers in this Bible scholars book, all three of those pages are blank. So you have to be careful, even among Bible scholars, even what church you go to, you have to have discernment about where you find truth. And truth is absolute, and it is found right here in the word of Almighty God from Genesis to Revelation. So I need my life to be anchored and bolted to truth. And here's the deal about the peace of God. The peace of God does not mean I will not have any trouble. The peace of God means I can flourish and have shalom in the midst of my trouble. Make sure you don't miss that. Paul used the word trouble 12 times in the book of 2 Corinthians, which is like his autobiography. So it was possible to have trouble and yet still have the peace of God. I mean, after all, as I mentioned, Paul is writing Philippians 4 from a jail cell, chained to a Roman guard. He understood what trouble was, and he understood he could flourish He could experience the peace of God no matter what. You cannot wait until you get in that challenging situation as a family to decide if you're going to live the peace of God. Let me give you a quick example. I want to bring a picture of our triplets up on the screen because I think it's very helpful. Um, When we went in to find out we were going to have triplets, um, we absolutely freaked out. Um, The sonogram text said ABC123. I thought he was singing a Michael Jackson song. It turns out he said baby A, baby B, baby C. You have three heartbeats. Um, And we waited for several weeks for the high-risk pregnancy appointment, and we go to the appointment at Texas Children's Hospital, and in the first few minutes, the high-risk maternal fetal medicine doctor looks at my wife, Audrey. I'm in the appointment with her. My mom is also in the appointment, and she says, Audrey, um, the twins, and I want you to see Ryder on the left and Abel is on the far right. They're identical. Jackson came a minute later. He's not identical. They said the, twin, uh, the twins, so the two of the three, they, they are in the same placenta. They'll likely develop TTTS where one twin hoards the nutrients from the other, which will probably kill that twin and, and hurt your life, et cetera, et cetera. Would you like a fetal reduction? That's the exact, to use a cultural euphemism, that is the exact terminology that was used in the appointment in the first 10 minutes. Now, what's really cool about when you have a peace plan for your life that's bolted to the truth, Audrey and I didn't have to have a meeting. Guess what's awesome? I have a spirit-filled wife. She didn't even look at me. She looked at the doctor and she said, doctor, we will trust the Lord. I don't need to hear anything else about a fetal reduction. And you know what? We learned to pray. We didn't have any explanations. All we had is what we sang about this morning, the peace, the promises of God. And guess what? Audrey delivered those boys 33 weeks later. It was called a textbook pregnancy. None of the 80-some-odd things that were supposed to happen happened to the praise and glory of Almighty God. So this is why you have to have a life 
This is so practical, bolted to the truth of God's word. Tim Keller said there's, and I love this, I, I honestly, I, I can't improve on this. There's a stupid piece and there's a smart piece. The Christian's piece is not by making yourself stupid, it's by making yourself as aware of your beliefs as thoughtful as possible. And so as a Christian thinker, I've been asked thousands of questions. We have a lot of Christians, they have a truce in their life, but they don't have the peace of God. The shalom of God is not a truce, an absence of conflict. The shalom of God is you flourishing no matter what you're facing. And so will you leave here with a commitment to put a peace plan in? Will you leave here with a commitment to live a life that's bolted to truth? And then thirdly, what, did I, what have I learned? And I mean, I've been doing this for almost 11 years now. Um, this is book number 10 by God's grace for me, co-authored or authored. I love answering questions. I love the fact that Jesus asks more questions than he answers. I love the fact that there's 3,200 questions in the Bible. I love the fact that questioning your faith is not a sin because if our faith is real, it can take our difficult questions. And yet when we study the faith of the Bible characters, when we study the real people of the scriptures, we learn a key concept, and I'm going to leave you with this. This is step number three. If I'm going to live the peace of God, I have to live by faith in God's promises, not in God's explanations. The problem is in the Western church, we want an explanation, an immediate explanation for all the challenges that we're facing. But when we study faith in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, we live by faith in God's promises, not explanations. And you know what the problem is? So many of us, we pray far too religiously. Did you know that? Did you hear what I just said? When's the last time you prayed like Habakkuk? Do you remember that passage in Habakkuk where he literally begins his prayer? God, are you dead? Are you dead, God? Have you prayed like the Psalms have prayed? You know, 28% of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. God, where are you? God, I feel like it would be in your best interest to show up in my life right now. Where are you, God? Have you forgotten me? And you know what's powerful when you study the fact that we live by faith in God's promises, not explanations? We learn very quickly that God does not give explanations. Listen to me very closely. God will give you a greater revelation of himself. And when you understand God's character, when you understand who God is, that's all you need to know, no matter what problem you're facing. When Habakkuk asked the Lord, do you remember, by the way, it's one of the most terribly misinterpreted passages, probably the worst in the Old Testament. Remember, God comes back, he says, if I were to tell you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe it. People think it was going to get better. No, it was about ready to get worse. Nebuchadnezzar was on his way to decimate Israel. And you know what? Habakkuk uses, or in, in Habakkuk, God uses an onomatopoeia. He looks at Habakkuk, he says, Hus, be silent before me. You know, Jesus did not give an explanation to Mary and Martha why he waited four days and let Lazarus die. There are so many situations where we are not going to get an explanation. I was um, ministering last Sunday after I spoke to a woman whose son was murdered in 2019 in Houston. And she said, we have had to learn this. We live by faith in God's promises, not explanations. My little sister, Jenny Lee, is still grieving the loss of a baby who was stillborn, Wesley, at 25 weeks. And I've been encouraging her as much as I can in the scriptures. And you know what? All we can tell you is God will meet you no matter where your pain is, and he will bring shalom. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean there's not trouble but God will meet you wherever you're at. I love this picture in the book of Judges because in the book of Judges, 
And by the way, uh, I would ask your prayers for Jenny Lee, my sister. We, they had a beautiful funeral for Wesley. Um, it was almost six months ago now, so we're going to see her uh, later this, this month. Um, and so when I say I know there are broken hearts out there, I know. I know from ministry, I know from personal experience, and I know God is faithful. And I want to say this as a, as a ministry that's known for answering questions. There are some problems for which there are no answers, ladies and gentlemen, and we have to just trust the Lord. And that's why we have to believe together, have faith together, trust together, worship together, serve together. We can't do this in isolation. In Judges chapter 6, it was beautiful because Gideon actually looks at the Lord and he said, God, if you're really with me, why are all these problems in my life? (laughs) And do you remember the Lord said, I am the Lord of peace. I am with you. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord, Judges chapter 6, verse 24, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 24, and he called it, the Lord is peace. Now here's the key. Gideon still had to go fight all his battles, but God was with him in his battles. And so wherever you're at today, God wants to bring his shalom into your life. I want to share this closing illustration, and then we're going to pray. Um, This inspired my entire book, Unleashing Peace. I was on the way to the UK, and if you ever try to cross the street in the United Kingdom, you know you will get ran over. Pedestrians don't have the right of way. Um, This is Golders Green in North London. And a young man had come to the end and had decided that he was gonna take his life. And what happens next can only be described as the shalom of God in action because all of these strangers are walking home from work. And they see this man who's getting ready to jump and they literally collide on him. I want you to study this picture. You don't think God's in control? Somebody had a rope going home from work that day. I love this right here. Someone is on their knees. I've got him. Do you have him? I won't let him go. Somebody, I've got his belt. I love that person with the, with the brown sleeve. I've got him whispering, you're going to make it. They held on to him for two hours. This wasn't two minutes. This is a picture of the mission of Conduit Church to bring the shalom of God to so many families all around the world who are struggling. This is a picture of God's love for you in Jesus Christ if you're struggling today. When I see this picture, I think of my five children. I think of myself, guess what? Here's the end of the message. Sometimes I have to be saved for myself. And only God's shalom can do that. Father, we want to bow right now and pray in a moment of decision. Lord, we've covered a lot of ground today in your word, but we've just barely scratched the surface of shalom. First and foremost, Father, there are people here today who need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. The first step to the shalom of God is peace with God. So if you want to make sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior, You can do that right now where you're seated in the quietness of your heart by just simply praying this prayer. Jesus, I trust in you as my savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin and raising from the dead. I place my trust in you for my forgiveness and peace. If you prayed that prayer on the authority of God's word, you've been adopted, you've been forgiven. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, we can sense the spirit working in this room. 
How many of you would say, Jeremiah, would you pray for me? I need the shalom of God in a specific area in my life. Would you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you all over this room? So I wanna, I wanna pray, yes, 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 ma'am, yes, sir. Yes, I see that couple, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, how many others? Yes, ma'am, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, I see you at the back, yes, sir. Yes, Jeremiah, I need the shalom of God in a specific area. I need the peace that passes all understanding. Will you leave here committed to be a Christian thinker? Will you leave here committed to think through your challenge, not feel through them? Will you leave here committed to be unprovocable? Will you leave here committed to a peace plan? Will you leave here committed to be bolted to the truth? And will you leave here committed that no matter what happens, I'm gonna trust in God's promises, not in explanations. Father, we commit all of these hands, so many in this room that have been raised, Father, we want to ask that we would turn our pain into our purpose so we can have your peace. We want to ask that you would bless us as we make the hard steps, that peace, that shalom is a discipline. Help us now as we begin to go to deeper levels of discipline in the peace of God. Father, we're thinking of people in our life who are hurting, specific situations. You know what's on the heart of every person here. God, on the authority of your word, I want to pronounce a blessing on Conduit Church. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, may the Lord of peace himself be with you in every way. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Would you give Jeremiah a hand? Thank you, brother. Thank you, Pastor. You know, as Jesus people, we have this opportunity to put a flag in the ground and say that we really believe what we're, that the Spirit of God really is alive. We've talked about it. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And I would love it if there's a testimony of the conduit church is that we are like a conduit of the shalom of God to the community in front of us and to the world around us. Uh, Jeremiah did bring books with him this morning, unlike Elisa a couple weeks ago. <laughs> and he's actually going to be literally right outside the door here um, to meet uh, signed books if you want to. Yeah. Cool. I'm up here with you. Okay, I'm yeah. vibing with you. <laughs> the, the, uh, I've read this. This is actually amazing. Um, so hopefully you'll take that with you today. And, yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Yes, Pastor. I just want to say this. Um, I wanted to give the people of God the tools to live the peace of God. And, you know, it's amazing when you study these things. You know, it's fabulous when you can actually put a book in someone's hand who's struggling, Pastor. And I can't explain this outside of the Holy Spirit, but people are literally getting this book by the caseload chaplains, um, pastors, parents, friends. So, Here's what I wanted to just come up here and say. If you have someone in your life who is struggling with anxiety in some area or some challenge, I would, be, I would love it to personalize the book to that person. I will stay out there as long as I need to to do that. And I want to encourage you to get this book for as many people in your life who you feel like you, you feel led of the Holy Spirit to give the peace of God to. That's all I wanted to say. I want to personalize awesome. it. Um, and I'm going to be out there at the back. So okay. thank you. Everybody stand to your feet. I want to pray for you as we leave today. Lord, may the the grace and peace of God be upon us. Paul didn't end his letters with a nice, sincerely, he was literally speaking the peace of God over us. 
And Lord, I pray that in this room right now, that that peace of God is all over each and every individual, for our families, for our children, for our children's children, that the shalom of God will be upon all of us. It is in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Bless you.